This is the Blue White Breakdown, the premier podcast for all things Penn State football. Talk about culture. It's something that should show up in every aspect of your program. It's the Blue White Breakdown, brought to you by Penn Live. Here are your hosts, Bob Flounders and Johnny McGonigal. Penn State fans, Bob Flounders here with the one and only Johnny McGonigal. It's time for a little Blue White Breakdown. It's Tuesday. Tuesday, I just got back from State College uh, listening to James Franklin's uh, Tuesday presser prior to the big Iowa game Saturday night at Beaver Stadium, 7.30 on CBS. James said it's the first time since 1990 that CBS has been at Beaver Stadium, so that that was interesting to me, but uh, maybe not to you. Johnny McGonigal is with me as always. Um, Johnny, uh, pretty interesting press conference today. I don't know about you. I thought James was in a much better mood maybe than he was at the end uh, after the Illinois game and that presser. I I didn't think he was maybe the happiest camper in the world, but I might have read it wrong, Johnny. How are you doing? No, I I read it the same way you did, Bob. Uh, Definitely seemed a little bit more chipper uh, today. Uh, You could probably tell you were in State College for the presser. I was watching you know, over over Zoom, getting a question in and all that. Uh, You could probably feel the energy a little bit more in the room. But uh, no, I'm I'm doing well uh, and uh, very much looking forward to this whiteout game uh, this weekend. Penn State Iowa, a ranked matchup, first uh, first ranked matchup of the season uh, for Penn State. It might be only one of three, uh, you know, with Michigan and Ohio State uh, still to come. So a big weekend for the Nittany Lions, big opportunity for Drew Aller for this entire team. Uh, that you know we talked after the game and Champagne, lovely Champagne, Bob that. Uh, that they had some work to do, that they had some things to correct on film. And, uh, you know, they've done that on Sunday, Monday, and now they're getting ready for the Hawkeyes. Yeah, big game for Penn State. Still at holding at number seven in the rankings. We'll, we'll get to you and where you had him on your ballot. Uh, Iowa, that uh, the mighty Iowa offense and the Hawkeyes, number 24, Kirk Ferentz, his OC son, Brian Ferentz, are coming to town. Uh, last time they were here, I think it was the COVID year. They won that game, but uh, you know, it was just one of those. It was one of those deals where Penn State started that started that COVID year just just terribly, terribly. Uh, they were terribly off. Lost their five games. I was one of them, but we're not going to talk about that, Johnny. We're gonna we're, before uh, I'm wearing my uh, Cowboys hat, Johnny, and I, the only reason I did it today is for a perfect segue. It could be two reasons. One, they're two and zero, and they're looking pretty good. As are your two and zero Eagles. But uh, James was asked about Micah Parsons, uh, who is you know just has, off to a terrific start uh, in Dallas for that defense, and just kind of you know there, there's a lot of people starting to warm to the idea of him being maybe the best player, not just the best defensive player in football. If he's not the best player, um, I could buy that. But uh, he's he's on a very short list, and he's a very very motivated guy. Um, but, but James has asked about him, and and kind of any thoughts, just not only about that, but also just about. And James reflected on Micah's time at Penn State. I know you were able to write something about that, but he he really kind of he dug deep for that answer. He he went in a couple different directions. I thought it was interesting. But my favorite part was when he said what. Because it kind of it's a little revealing about James. He he loves the fact that Micah is frugal uh, on social media, which is another word you could say cheap, but frugal probably probably sounds a little bit better. I know what he was getting at. I think you do too. But just your thoughts on what he had to say about Micah. 
Yeah, Bob, it was it was a lot. It was a long answer. It made it an easy story to write because it's like, hey, here's just here's everything he said. Go ahead, go ahead and take a crack at it and read read it. But obviously, a lot of really good things. You know, you're able, anyone's able to say about Micah as a football player. But James, in his long, you know, lengthy answer, did not, you know, commend Micah for his pass rush moves or his tackles for loss or his quarterback pressures. You know, it was more so about the person, uh, Michael Parsons, and how he's developed off the field and how he developed from the ninth grader that they started recruiting uh, to a kid. You know, he mentioned the roller coaster recruiting ride yet again, something that James has mentioned in the past, uh, mentioned that they had to have some tough love with him when he was on campus. Uh, you know, the two seasons that he played at Penn State, he mentioned right off the bat that he wishes that they had him for a third season because. You know, Micah opted out uh, when, when the, well, really it was when the Big Ten canceled the football season and then they decided to reinstitute it. Uh, but Micah's decision was made by then. But he talked about how, you know, Micah had sent him and Brent Pry uh, recently a heartfelt message and has, you know, really appreciated in retrospect the community aspect of Penn State and everything that kind of goes on and, and around being a football player at Penn State. And so, it was a really, it was a really interesting answer during during a press conference, Bob. That you know, there was a lot of like big picture thoughts and questions. Uh, you know, love it, around. love it, love it when he gets those questions. I'm sure he loves it too because he could talk for a really, really long time, and then he only gets to face like seven or eight questions for the press conference. But yeah, there were a lot of long, big picture questions and big picture answers. He even mentioned that. James even said like, Hey, this, this feels like this press conference is going long. And he even mentioned, yeah, normally when I have long answers that cuts down on the questions I have to get, it's definitely a strategy. It's absolutely a strategy on a, on his part, but uh, no, he, he's really proud of the the player and the person Micah Parsons has turned into. And it's, it's hard not to be impressed with him as a football player. Uh, the, the performances that he's had uh, obviously in his career so far, but over the last couple of weeks and, uh, against the Jets over the weekend has, you know, st- it's, you know, it's, it's early for MVP talk, you know, just across the league. Uh, but you're starting to see some, some opinions float out there. Like, Hey, you know, if a defensive player is going to win MVP, maybe it's going to be, you know, Micah Parsons uh, could, could be that kind of guy. Uh, so we'll see, we'll, we'll stay tuned on that. But in the meantime, uh, James Franklin, really proud of, uh, of what Micah Parsons has become and what he's still yet to do. Yeah, and for me, having get, it was really, really a privilege to get to cover him at Penn State, watch him grow in a new position, really. He was a defensive end at Harrisburg High and at, uh, before that at Central Dauphin, and they, they, they asked him to learn, you know, the Penn State way as a linebacker, and that's a big adjustment, you know. Not really having that background, you know, th- there's a lot that goes into that fundamental-wise. You can't maybe be as aggressive as a linebacker as you are as a defensive end. so. It did take him a little while um, to just kind of get comfortable. But, you know, by the time he left Penn State, you know, everyone w- wants to remember that Cotton Bowl. But he he had kind of figured things out and you were starting to see that elite, elite speed and, and strength come into play. It was really a pleasure uh, covering him. Not only that, talking to him. He was always a really, really good interview. As a Cowboys fan, I couldn't be happier. But just so that anyone doesn't get the wrong idea. So I, I, I was kidding about cheap. So for, he, James mentioned, and I thought it was interesting, James liked the fact that he was frugal. But what he was trying to say is, you know, Micah is, 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 it's, it, you know, Micah is kind of a big picture guy in a way because 
He's cautious with his money. He's he's I guess he's been on social media maybe <laughs> wondering about the price of a haircut, stuff like that. But he he's a guy that's made a lot of money. But he also knows that if, if he can just kind of if you can just kind of pace yourself when you're making all this money, you're going to be in a great position kind of for the rest of your life. And Jane's kind of credited him for being that way at a young age. And he, he, I think he hopes maybe some Penn State players now that there's some NIL, Johnny, might take that uh, might take Micah's lead. So that's what he meant about Micah being frugal. He also also did mention that Micah was maybe the biggest fan of the Penn State wrestling program, program and KL Sanderson. He was at all the big matches, probably all the matches he could get to. But yeah, it, w- it was nice to see him, uh, Johnny, talk uh, at length about Micah Parsons. Um, and we'll just see how this season unfolds. For Micah, just a couple of notes before we get into the Iowa um, nitty gritty. Hey, Penn State fans, you know, we, we are going to take some of our tech subscriber questions. We asked for them before this podcast. We have a couple we're going to get to. And I think it's a great deal. I mean, we really want you guys to consider maybe becoming part of the tech subscriber uh, Penn State fan base. It's growing uh, every week. Uh, we have a good group, and uh, I, you get you get some access to myself, Johnny McGonigal, uh, David Jones. So uh, we highly recommend it. If you guys are interested, the number to call for more information, 717-912-9969. So that's, uh, that's the number you can call. We hope you do it. We're going to get some, to some questions, Johnny, in a bit. Two interesting things. About James, at the start of the, he always has got like an intro. And at the start of that, he did mention number one, Trace McSorley and Grant Haley are back in town and they're going to be the honorary captains for the Penn State Iowa game. 730 kick on CBS. It's going to be the whiteout game. The atmosphere is going to be electric for sure. Um, but they're, they were in the weight room working out as he was doing the, uh, the press conference. I think both of them still have designs on continuing uh, their NFL careers. The other thing was there was some, there was some question as to, how many whiteouts there have been at the start of the press conference? I think in the official release, the number was 15, and there was some, and, and and Audrey Snyder of the Athletic, James said one number, Audrey said another. Greg Kincaid maybe admitted I think that it was wrong in the release, and then they came back and said actually total whiteouts might be 19, but they're not. They weren't full whiteouts. But James and looked at Greg, and there was kind of a wager. They both had to do some push-ups because of the the fact that the, the uh, the whiteout number uh, may be wrong. I'm still not sure what number they're going to go by. All I know is I think I've seen all of them. Uh, it's a fascinating experience, Johnny, and it's it's going to be tough for Iowa really to get settled in uh, just because of the atmosphere, number one, because of the Penn State defense, number two. You know, And this is a game Penn State's, uh, as we talked about it, a 14.5-point favorite. You don't usually see the, the total is 40. And you, I know that Iowa has struggled to score, but you rarely see a Penn State total at home that low and James said it he said it's good this game's good we're gonna have to grind it out uh against this team so I do expect a low scoring game um and uh and I also has a very good punter so field position will be critical but you know low scoring might exactly fit what Penn State's doing right now because there were a little some warts I think that were exposed I shouldn't say warts maybe some minor concerns coming out of the Illinois game about specifically about their offense. The defense played great. I don't know how big those concerns really are, Johnny. I think what you saw was Illinois had started shaky. Big 10 play at home. They're playing a ranked team, Penn State. They had beaten them two years ago. They weren't afraid of them. And their their best players brought their A game. And a lot of their best players were on the front seven. 
And it really was some heavy lifting for Penn State's offense, even with the defensive help, all those takeaways to kind of get some separation. Yeah, Bob. No, it's um, it was interesting over Zoom to uh, to see James Franklin kind of disappear from <laughs> from the. It's not the podium. What do you call it? A, a dais? A, a di- I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I think a dais maybe more than a podium. He's sitting down. You know, he's got Greg Kincaid, who is uh, the football SID. To James's right, the media's left. If you're looking at it through the Zoom call, you know, Greg kind of handles the press conference. Calls on some people on Zoom and then directs the microphones in the uh, in the uh, media room once they go off Zoom to people who have questions. But yeah, at one point you couldn't see either one of them because they were behind. They were actually on the ground. You couldn't see them. They were doing uh, penalty pushups. Yeah, so that was so that was interesting. I, I think I think this is going to be. I think the the different the the point of contention was a student whiteout or full stadium whiteout. Yeah, I think this is going to be the fifteenth full whiteout, and I believe they're eight and six in those games. Um, and of course, you know, norm in years past, it's been the toughest game. It's been Ohio State and Michigan uh, for the most part. You know, last year Minnesota, this year Iowa. A lot of that has to do with the Fox Big Noon kickoff, and you know, those Michigan Ohio State games being at noon and not wanting to have a whiteout uh, at noon. Um, but this is going to be it's going to be an interesting game, and and what I asked James today, I, I thought was interesting coming off the Illinois game where you know, the entire offense just didn't look sharp, and Harrison Wallace the third being out, I think had something to do with that. Uh, Jerzon Newton, the star defensive tackle for Illinois, disrupting everything, uh, had a lot to do with that as well. But you know, we we saw Drew Cruz you know week one against West Virginia, three hundred twenty five yards passing, three tutties. Uh, no interception. You know, he he did what he needed to do against Delaware, but you know he and the offense as a whole was kind of off. And I asked James. I said, "Look, you know this is his first whiteout start, and you know he he had experience last year getting in for a couple drives in that game against Minnesota. He played in front of a big crowd in West Virginia, but you know how do you think he might handle you in terms of handling that pressure that comes along with playing in an atmosphere like the whiteout?" And James kind of leaned on something that he said about Nick Singleton and Catron Allen last year when they had played, you know, a lot of ball by mid season or so. And he said that, Hey, these guys aren't freshmen anymore. Uh, he said that drew, like we're kind of done with the firsts. Now he already had his first start. He already had his first road start. You know, he had his first helmet stripe out start. And, you know, he kind of mixes in a joke in there, but the, the tenor around drew, it's like, he's not a kid anymore, at least in the, in the building within the, within the coaching staff is, that you know he's already seen enough through three games that they trust him to handle himself the right way and to direct this offense the way it needs to be directed. And it's going to be you know a, a challenge though to do that against an Iowa defense that you know has one of the best defensive backs in college football, Cooper DeGene, who is run by a coordinator, Phil Parker, who's been doing it for a long time at the Big Ten. And you know, Iowa is typically a stingy defense. And you mentioned what the over under total is, and I think that's indicative of that. But it's, I'm going to be interested to see just how Drew handles himself uh, in this game and how the offense as a whole handles itself. And I wouldn't be surprised if they have a bit of a bounce-back performance. But James also mentioned later in his press conference, you know, this could be a game where you have to grind it out again because uh, they had to grind it out against Illinois. So I guess we'll see what kind of game script and what, you know, what kind of game flow we get on a Saturday night. It's a little surprising to me. I got back uh, to Harrisburg 
early afternoon on Sunday. I was out a little bit uh, enjoying the NFL games. And you and I watched the game. Obviously, you know, Drew, I think, had come into that game. You know, he'd faced two not very, uh, I don't think, athletic or particularly talented defenses at home in his first two games. He's completing almost 80% of his passes. And, you know, he that was, you know, on the road against some guy, an Illinois team that Brett Bielema kind of is, you know, he, he knows what he's doing. I know they were struggling, but you knew that they were going to be a little bit more fired up for this game, you know, big noon kickoff, all that stuff. I don't think Drew played uh, poorly. Um, there were four or five drops. He did miss some throws for sure. Um, they weren't particularly great in the red zone. They had to set, oh, settle for some short field goals. But there were a lot. I, I talked to some people, you know, just, and they were like, what, what was the deal with Drew? What was, I mean, they got so spoiled by those first two uh, efforts against teams that just, I don't think defensively can't cause you many problems. That the reality is, this kid's make, is making his fourth career start. Um, and that was, it was tough on the road. And also, Johnny, you know, not having Harrison Wallace, Trey Wallace in that game certainly helped Illinois. Uh, they, they could kind of do some things to really, Make sure Keandre, Keandre Lambert-Smith didn't, you know, frolic for eight or ten catches. He was open, I think, for a touchdown in the end zone, and I don't think Drew saw him. I think he had three catches for 23, 25 yards. But I don't know that it was all on Drew. I think the offensive line, uh, they got a good test, right? They, they, they knew, they know that they're, you know, they're not, you know, that they're not the, they're not the 94 offensive line. Uh, they have some talented players, but they're going to have to keep working at it. The penalties were a problem, Johnny especially uh, dead ball fouls, one on defense, one on offense. I think, I think Drew did, uh, did just, just fine. I really think that field goal drive right before the first half uh, was significant. He made a big-time throw to Liam Clifford. And then in the second half, their depth just took over in that game. Uh, one thing I wanted to ask you, how, where are you with, with Nicholas Singleton's development as a runner? He was effective as a receiver. If you look at the three games, I, I mean, he's got some touchdowns, but Katron's been the most consistent back through three games. James tried to dress it up as saying, hey, they're trying to take those guys away, make Drew beat them. There's some, there's some truth to that, but I just think that Nick has come close, but I still think we haven't seen the best of him yet this year. And I do think Katron uh, does, things, does some things better, you know, in a tight box maybe than Nick does. Yeah, I agree. We definitely haven't seen the best of Nick Singleton this year. I mean, he had. I think he has 154 yards through three games, 37 yards uh, at Illinois. And talking to him after the game, you know, he had that 16-yard touchdown run where he got a crease and he hit it. I mean, he just accelerated through the second level and, and went in the end zone. And uh, kind of similar to Catron scoring against Delaware, you know, Nick against, uh, against Illinois just had this kind of out – Pouring of emotion was you know, really, I mean, obviously everyone's excited when they score a touchdown, but it felt like it had been pent up, like he was waiting for a play like that. That 16-yard run is his longest run of the season. This is a guy who this time last year, you know, he's coming off the Ohio game where he had 179 yards, he's coming off the Auburn game, which kind of introduced him to the country, to those who may not have known who Nick Singleton is. He had two 50-yard runs in that game. And so he's been bottled up through three games. I asked him if he feels like it's just a matter of time, you know, before he pops one, before one goes the distance. And he said, he, you know, he's just going to keep plugging away and he's going to stay patient. But the way that especially Illinois, uh, you know, without Harrison Wallace in the lineup was playing them this past weekend, 
you know, just loading the box, press man coverage, uh, and make, you know, a wide receiver room and a pass catching group as a whole. That's without arguably their second best player in the group. Make those guys beat you. Like you mentioned, Keandre did, you know, have, have an open touchdown. Uh, I believe it was the first play of the second quarter that Drew missed. But, you know, when a team, when, when a defense, especially with two really good defensive tackles like that uh, in Randolph and Newton are just loading the box against you, yeah, I think it lends more to a Katron Allen type of runner uh, than maybe Nick. But I do think Nick is making strides. It just takes him a little bit to get going. Like, it, it takes him just a touch to get going. Whereas, you know, Katron with his power and his shiftiness, uh, really, all, even if he gets hit at the line of scrimmage, he might lower his shoulder and barrel over for three or four yards. But I do think it's it's just a matter of time before we see the Nick Singleton that we saw last season. It might not be this weekend against Iowa, but if it is, I mean, what an occasion that would be to, to see the reemergence of Nick Singleton, the way that we know, that the player that we know, uh, to do it on a big stage, on CBS, national TV, whiteout, all that. If he's able to break a big one, you know that the press box is going to be shaken, Bob. Yeah, yeah. I think one of the funny things to me is the perception of Katron and the perception of Nick I just having watched them play now this year too, and, and how they did it last year. You know, you mentioned Nick's touchdown run for 16 yards. <clears throat> he saw the crease; there was a hole there. He hit it. He accelerated um, north south. Right. He to me, that's that is the best version of Nick. Not that he can't. He can't obviously. Not that he can't run outside. But it just takes him. I, I just think when he is going north south, and there there is a lane there, he's got he's going to be tough. Um, east west. I think he's still a work in progress, but the irony is, I think I think Katron is obviously very good north north south, but he's actually deceptively good east west. Even though Nick is the faster player, there's things you do on the football field, and, there, and there's a way I think to do that. Katron, and not that Katron's not slow, but he's just not as fast as Nick. It just seems like maybe they're the Katron can do a little bit of both at this stage, and Nick is just elite home run hitter up just straight up the middle, you know, north south. We'll see if he can kind of develop the east west game a little bit more, but I think that I've just seen him too many times look like he's he's trying to turn the corner and somebody either runs him down or he just can't shake free. So we'll see uh if that changes, but I just think that Katron's a little shiftier and people give him credit and I think Nick is actually really really good north south. He just hasn't had maybe some clear sailing, but if he does get in the open uh, Johnny, you're not you're not going to catch him as we saw in the Rose Bowl, as we saw a couple times uh, early last year. He's he's a fantastic fantastic back. He's due. He might be overdue. I just hope he doesn't press. This is the Blue White Breakdown. Let's. Why don't we do this, Johnny? Why don't I get to some of the questions that uh, some of our tech subscribers asked? Prior to this podcast, you're you're welcome to take a crack at these. I'm going to pick a couple of them. I, I'm, I'm just going to say there's one that says generally will Drew Aller improve this week. I think I think we've already talked a little bit about that. So let's get let's get to the, the these two questions. You ready? This is for you. Maybe right. you guys can talk about the similarities with this Iowa team versus the traditional Iowa teams and what's different this year. I know they tried to correct their bad offense last year in the offseason. However, I believe PSU has the significant athletic advantage in all phases. We might as well get to it, Johnny, uh, before you answer the question. 
The OC at, at Io is the son of Kirk Ferentz. Brian Ferentz is his name. He is definitely on the hot seat. Uh, they, they actually have a, a, a number tied to points scored this year for him <laughs> to continue coaching in 2024. But what are your thoughts on maybe this comparing this Iowa team to traditional Iowa teams and if there really is anything different this year? You mentioned Brian Ferentz, Bob. I, uh, I, you know, with a mailbag earlier this week, actually, I referred to him as the poster boy for nepotism in college football. And I don't think that's like a outlandish statement to make either. Like he's the offensive coordinator at Iowa because his dad is the head coach. And the fact that they had to put in that, you know, contractual stipulation or obligation for Iowa to average, I believe it's 25 points per game this season and win seven games. One, it was, it was honestly a little, it was funny last week. Uh, we're driving back from Champaign to our hotel outside O'Hare Airport to fly out uh, Sunday morning. And I'm, I'm in the back seat. You know, Joe Hermit's driving. You're sitting, you know, passenger. I'm in the back watching on my phone the Iowa Western Michigan game. Do you have anything Wait. on that landing chance, Scotty? I look, I, I may or may not have had a couple shekels on Western Michigan to cover 28 and a half. Can't leave it out. You can't leave that part out. No, you can't. You can't. That's why I was watching the game. I was pressing the score a touchdown in the closing seconds, basically to just keep padding Brian Ferentz's stats. And it's like, what? Like, what? What are we doing here? Either way, uh, in terms of the actual question <laughs> that's at hand, in terms of is this Iowa offense different? I think. The, I think the biggest difference is Caden McNamara at quarterback. He's better than Spencer Petrus. Uh, <laughs> that's that's for damn sure. Spencer Petras was one of the worst quarterbacks I've, I've seen in college football. Uh, so Cade McNamara is better than him. But in terms of there, there's a lot of similarities in how they play, though they still like to grind it out. They still rely on the tight ends, uh, which is a problem for them now because Luke Lachey, who is one of the best tight ends in college football, if not the best. I mean, Brock Bowers at Georgia would like a word, I guess. But Luke Lachey, really good tight end. He's probably out for the year after uh, I believe it was a broken leg that he suffered last week. Uh, so they'll be relying a lot on Eric All, who Penn State fans will remember was a tight end in Michigan, caught a drag route a couple years ago at Beaver Stadium that uh, ended up winning the game for Michigan against Penn State in a tight game. I think that was like 21 to 17. But yeah, so th- they're they're pretty similar in terms of the schematics of it. They Brian Ferentz hasn't changed much, but I do think McNamara is brings a little bit of a different edge to the offense and that he can actually run and, and not look like he has cement in his shoes. Yeah, the Lachey injury, I'm glad you brought it up. That is significant. That was his favorite target and with good reason. Um, now they don't have him. I was looking at the running game stats. Now, look, you could you could make the argument they were holding something back for Penn State. I don't buy it. They beat They beat Utah State. They beat Iowa State, who then turned around and lost 10-7 to to Ohio. Not Ohio State, the Ohio Bobcats. You know, and then, yeah, they, they got the better of a Western Michigan team that just simply, the game went on and they just kind of, they got out-athleted and they, they, they got out-physicaled. And, yeah, they, they did run it up a little bit late, and that's probably why they did it, to keep, to keep uh, Brian Ferentz on the good side. I think they have 85 points now, so they're, if you're averaging 25 a game, they're plus 10 right now, even though one of those touchdowns with a defensive touchdown, but they're going to count it. That's another story. I think this is absolutely like a clone of a, if you, if you just think if you're an older Penn state fan, if you even if you're in your 20 or 30s and you think of the 2019 
Penn State Iowa game that they won 17-12 or you think of the 21-19 game they won on the last play in two, in you know in 2017 out there and you just think of a lot of Penn State Iowa games I mean this is kind of what this Iowa team is they might even be less dynamic on offense without Lachey and the and the quarterback as you said it's easy to you know you know what Penn State's defense knows where to find him uh, on Saturday night exactly where he's going to be I don't think he's much of a threat to do anything but either handoff or throw short passes. So this is to me this is a this is the this is the standard Iowa offense. I don't think there's going to be any surprises. And that's not a great sign for uh for Iowa going into this game. They do have some very good defensive players. They have maybe the best punter in the nation and if you think that's not a big deal, you wonder why the total is 40 unless something weird happens, you know, Penn State's offense is going to have to go 85 yards, 90 yards with this guy, the way this guy got, kicks the ball. And against that Iowa defense, it's going to be hard to do. Johnny, let's do one more question real quick before we wrap up uh, the blue-white breakdown. This is kind of a, an interesting one to me, and I think you could dig in too. Why is there not more emphasis on developing Prabula, Bo Prabula's passing skills when he comes in the game? If all he does is run, he will never be prepared. If Drew Aller gets injured and Bo ascends to the QB1 spot. Yeah, look, I, it's it's tough because I'm sure I'm sure Penn State would have loved to be in a position where they were up a lot more last week at Illinois and get him some more run. He did get in the game. I, I don't know. I, I think I think a part of it is not wanting to run up the score on on some teams, but I think we've seen a decent bit of Bo already this season. He's played, you know, in all three games, um, and I would expect to see him. Maybe maybe not in the Iowa game if it's as tight as we think it might be, uh, but it is a fourteen point spread, just like you know Illinois was last week. So if Penn State's up by three scores, if they're up by seventeen or twenty, you know in the fourth quarter, they'll have no problem getting Bo in the game. Uh, I think with with Bo, the bigger question is like, are they going to use him in you know weird packages or exotic packages? Because that was something that was hinted at uh, in the off season by James Franklin on more than one occasion. Yeah, you would like him to be a little bit more polished as a passer if you're going to put him out there in legitimate, like meaningful snaps if you decide to use him. So it's not just, hey, he's going to go quarterback draw every single time and good luck stopping this bigger version of Trace McSorley who's going to try and run you over. But I think Bo has more to him than that. It's just a matter of developing him and playing him. But at the same time, too, you know, you want to have Drew get as many meaningful snaps as possible because, again, he's still now only a three-time starter. Uh, and so in terms of pushing the ball downfield and, you know, you want to make sure he gets the reps that he needs. And then also it's, an, another part of this is when Bo comes on, you know, is he working with the ones or is he working with the third-string wide receivers or, you know, the third-string, you know, Khalil Dinkins at tight end, you know, Caden Saunders, you know, some, some of these underproven players who, you know, they already have issues at wide receiver in terms of guys really stepping up. So do you want to put Bo in a situation where he might throw a pick or he might get on the wrong page with one of these guys? So I think there's a lot that goes into it. I do think maybe we'll see him throw a little bit more in the Northwestern game because Penn State should be up big in that. Uh, and as well as the UMass game, just in case Drew goes down, that Bo is ready for an Ohio State or a Michigan if he has to be. I think there's a lot that goes into that, um, a lot that goes into that equation. Yeah, just one thought on what you just said. I agree with everything, Johnny. I think fans have to also know this. Drew and Bo are two really different quarterbacks. 
Uh, Drew has played his whole life, high school, whatever it is, uh, trying to get rid of the ball. Like he can, certainly he can run the ball. He ran the ball against Illinois, but he's gotten really good at staying in the pocket, using his mobility. He does have some for a big kid to extend the play to throw the ball. I think you know Bo when he was at Central York. <clears throat> I think a lot of his life he's just used to. First sign of trouble, I'm an athlete, I'm going to take off, I'm going to run the ball. I, I think there's some of that to him. They're two different quarterbacks. I, don't, I know that Bo can throw the ball, but I think, I think he's so young and he's, he, he almost has to unlearn a little bit the instinct when the pocket's not clean. Do I, A, do I try and just put my head down and try and make five or six yards? Or do I just try to extend the play, stay in the pocket, throw the ball down the field? I think there's some of that at work too, but it is really hard when he gets into games to kind of throw the ball the way that they're throwing it with Drew. They're just not the same quarterback. And if anything would happen to Drew, they're going to have to tinker with that offense. There's no way I think you can run the offense they run with Drew. I, James has said that. They're, they, they're, they're different kinds of quarterbacks. And I think the throwing part for Bo will come. But in, in an emergency situation where Drew gets hurt, you know, Drew's the guy that's gotten all the reps and he's played all the significant snaps. I think the expectation that he's just going to be able to throw the ball you know, somewhat like Drew, you know, and, and be the starting quarterback, that's just going to come over time, I think. Yeah, no, I agree 100%. It's, uh, they're two different guys with, and like I mentioned too, you know, Drew is throwing to Keandre and, you know, not so much Theo Johnson and, and Tyler Warren necessarily because the tight end position, I don't want to say ignored, that's, uh, that's, that's too harsh a word, but I'm actually writing about Theo Johnson uh, for Wednesday morning and his lack of involvement in the passing game. So Penn Live readers and listeners, go take a look at that when that comes out. But I just think they're, they're working with different different personnel right now. They're working with pretty much a different playbook, or at least you know they're playing to, Mike Yersich is playing to each quarterback's strengths when they're in the game. Uh, and, and like you said, Bob, if something happens to Drew, I, I think the plays you know, and everything that they decide to run and how they operate that offense changes pretty drastically. With Bo in there again, not saying he can't throw the ball because obviously he can. You know he's a different quarterback than Drew. So let's hope for you know Penn State's sake that uh, that Drew stays healthy throughout the season and and that's not an issue, right? That that maybe that uh, you know a quarter, starting quarterback can stay healthy against Iowa, uh, unlike you know a couple years ago when when Sean unfortunately went down and, uh, and and Roberson had to fill in and you know the game kind of fell apart at that point. You know, let's let's uh, knock on wood that that everyone on the field stays healthy, Bob. Uh, that that we just have a good, clean game, and uh, and looking forward to to hearing how many how many boos there are pregame for Iowa because yeah, there, there's going to be a lot. Yeah, uh, you guys, thanks for listening, thanks for watching. I'll be on with Dave Jones a little later in the week on Blue White Breakdown. Johnny and Dustin uh, will have one as well. I think uh, towards the end of the week, we're not done with the podcast. We're not done with the Penn State coverage. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. And we'll have more stuff on Penn State, Iowa as the week unfolds. This has been the Blue White Breakdown brought to you by Penn Live.